So how has the king's commitment to religious pluralism shaped attitudes towards the monarchy among non-Christian communities? Professor Iftikhar Malik of Bath Spa University knows Charles well through their joint involvement in the Oxford Centre for Islamic Studies. Prince Charles, as he was Prince of Wales, he was very mobile at the communitarian level. He would visit uh, Muslim mosques. He would visit Hindu temples in London. He went to Amritsar, you know, the holiest city for the Sikhs. He maintained a kind of balance when it came to politics of the Middle East between Israel and his Arab friends. So I think he starts with this experience of multiculturalism within the British context and at a global level. He is a patron of uh, this Oxford Center of Islamic Studies. I remember he came there in 1990s and he made a speech which was flashed across the newspapers. And many Muslims thought that he was very close to Islam. So I think many Hindus feel the same way and Sikhs feel the same way. So I think there is a receptivity within his own person of Britain being multicultural. He's a different generation from that of his father, because his father was a very interesting man, as you know. Unlike That's his understating mother, it. Pretty much like his mother. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because he, he was known for his jokes, and some of those jokes sadly used to be ethnic. But anyway, uh, he also traveled to all these 54 countries, which once made the British Empire. Um, seen his pictures of Duke of Edinburgh and the late Queen uh, in the Khyber Pass, driving through Lahore and Karachi in an open car. And it looks like a different Pakistan. It was so safe. Jackie Kennedy visiting Karachi and Lahore. So I think uh, the Queen created those positive and healthy traditions as the leader of the Commonwealth. And she was the least controversial person when it came to inter-Commonwealth political issues, like issues between India and Pakistan. So I think Charles has a good beginning. He's very well educated and socially he has been very mobile and he is uh, well received in the Arab world. And I don't see any major criticism from Israel or Jewish community. He is technically the leader of Anglican Church. In an unstated way, he's also a leader of entire Britain. That was what I was going to ask, uh, Professor Malik. How is his position as supreme governor, not the spiritual head, but supreme governor of the Church of England, received in multi-faith Britain? Because that is still an official position that he holds. It's not something that he wants to uh, relinquish. So how is that perceived among non-Christians, do you think? I think it's not controversial when it comes to Hindus, Muslims and Sikhs, if I'm not wrong. I think they understand the fact that Britain for a long, long time has been a Christian society and uh, there is a very interdependent relationship between the church and the state, though state by practice and by intent is secular without calling itself secular. So in that sense, I think it works very well with the other smaller religious communities. And the state allows uh, Hindus, Muslims, you know, even atheists to establish their own places, their own institution. Of course, nobody's asking him to retire from his position as a patron of the Anglican Church. But I think his approach towards other religious communities has been based on egalitarianism, celebration and receptivity. So it's not going to be a controversy, but I think most of the Muslims do not have a position of a leader, Khalifa or somebody. But I think they know that he is very much interested in Islam. His view of Islam 
is based on equality and spirituality. And I think he is into Sufi traditions as well. Already his exposure and his interaction with the religious communities has been very positive. Mm. What would you do to make the coronation, which will still have at its heart a Christian ceremony because he will be crowned by the Archbishop of Canterbury, but what would you do to make it more reflective of multicultural and multi-faith Britain? I think the British, as you know, is a very traditional society. So I think that nobody minds these traditions, whether they are being performed in the parliament or in the church or in terms of relationship between the crown and the creed. I don't think he has to, because I think people understand the fact that it is a predominantly Christian society, though some of my Christian friends are worried that with the latest census, the number of Christians has steadily decreased. I think uh, people appreciate the fact that he is a leader of religious communities and especially of Christianity. But at the same time, by practice, Britain is a very tolerant society. And before its legal system, everybody is equal, irrespective of ethnicity, class, gender, or religious affiliation. So I think that works very well for the system. Because as I said, in the 1960s, when multiculturalism was introduced as a paradigm, lots of people were deeply worried how in a very, very traditional society with an imperial background and Christian foundations would be able to deal with all these dozens of numerous ethnic and religious communities who might pull Britain apart. It's still many people have reservations about multiculturalism. But when people look at France, for example, and the model of assimilation, people think Britain is not that badly because Britain has been comparatively peaceful society based on coexistence. I'm not saying that there are no sectarian tensions and all that, but they happen in every society. But law protects everybody, Mm. the legal tradition, the social tradition, and generally the receptivity of the society towards multiculturalism. They are very, very positive inducements. I'm thinking also of some very concrete things. We know, for example, that there have been some highly respected leaders of the Hindu and Muslim and Sikh communities who have been appointed to the House of Lords. We know that the last monarch appointed, I think, a couple of well-respected Muslim leaders as Lord's Lieutenant in a couple of counties. They are very important positions representing the monarch. But can you think of ways in which the monarch might, in a concrete way, diversify the court, as it were? I don't mean the legal court for Australian listeners, but the court, the royal court. (laughs) Well, you know, people are very understanding and second and third generation, because like I work on Muslim regions and former colonies, even in Africa and places like India, Pakistan. And I think I'm not saying there's nostalgia for the British Raj, but Britain today is seen in a different light. There are people who are very critical of colonialism, and we're talking about decolonizing humanities and history and whatnot. But there are people who do appreciate the legal system that Britain has followed and think about Nehru, think about Kenyatta, think about Jinnah, think about Gandhi. All these leaders who were trained in Britain, at one level, you could say Britain is, quote-unquote, notorious 
for its imperial past. But at the same time, Britain was and is appreciated for the legal system that it developed over the centuries, and especially in more recent years. I think King Charles' accessibility to all kind of communities at different levels and staying in contact with the communities within Britain, I think itself would be a living proof that he is representing the entire British society in a well-meaning way. His work since the 1980s, I don't think he has to radically change or the government has to radically change the setup, legal setup or the royal court to make it all encompassing. I mean, the, the most powerful person after the crown happens to be the prime minister of an ethnic community. Professor Iftikhar Malik of Bath Spa University. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.